0: We're going to take our Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. And now that my brain is completely out of whack, well, hopefully I'll get it back here in a couple minutes. But thank you for that stuff. Katie, I don't know what our church would do without you being here. I don't know. That is very true. You do bring a lot of spice to life and gray hair to my head. So, that is true. And so, she is. She's crazy, and then she helps and does a ton. I don't know. There's only one. Thank God. I only think a church can handle one Katie at a time, you know. I think that is just how it is. And so, um, Maria, I saw you come in tonight with that little thing, and I'm like, I wonder if she has Oreos in there. And look at that. that. So... And that's that's not a good thing, though. That's a bad thing to get those. Revelation 3, we've been studying the different churches and going through the different letters to the churches. And uh, we're now on the church in Philadelphia, not in Pennsylvania, okay? Don't think that's what we're talking about tonight. And you might have thought that, but that's not the case. And so you got your notes there. We're going to run through things tonight and get moving with things. And I need to get into a. I need to get in a little groove here because I'm not, I got to get my focus where it needs to be. And so I don't like when stuff like that happens to me. And, this, and I, it just to, it throws me off. I'm not one of those, you might say, well, you are in front of people all the time. And that I don't like attention and I don't like being in front of anybody. So in all reality, you might think I like look at you during the message and everything else. But I do something and I'm going to give you one of my secrets. Do you see that line on the wall, that white line? I look at that white line back and forth, so it looks like I'm looking at you, but I don't look at you always, and every once in a while I do. Because sometimes people are like, Pastor, you were looking right at me. No, I don't really make really good eye contact and all that. But anyway, so Revelation 3, and hopefully we'll get going good here in just a minute. These letters were written to churches. These were literal churches in that day. And um, when we look at this, was the... Could there be things that apply to us today in this letter? Yes, there is, and these were real churches, prophetically speaking, and I'm one of those that believe and you can I'm not a hyper dispensationalist, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, they're good. I would not be a hyper dispensationalist. Do I believe in a little bit of dispensations, maybe a little bit here or there. I really think you could look at these churches and you can see throughout history the different church these different churches in different time periods, like someone asked me. 1700 and 1900 for this one, you could really see this is when missions expanded. the three great awakenings that happened happened during this time. And this church in Philadelphia is the church with the open door. What you'll see when we look at the last church, in not next week, but the following week, you'll see the Laodicean church. And in all reality, it really seems a lot like what the church is today. thinking we're good but we're lukewarm and thinking we've got it all figured out when we don't. And so you'll see that. And you say, well, I just don't know if I agree with that. Then that's totally fine. You don't have to agree with that, and we can move on from there. But as we look here tonight, we look at the church here. I want you to look with me down at verse number 7. It says, and the angel of the church in Philadelphia right? These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the keys of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my name, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is new Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Father, bless the next few minutes that we have. We love you. We need you. We thank you for this evening. And we thank you for the many blessings you've given to us. Pray that as we look at this passage tonight and as we study it out, that you would help us see some things and be able to apply the truth about this church to areas in our own lives and maybe some areas in our own church tonight we love you we need you in jesus name i pray amen as we look at this church here you'll notice that it the lord does not get after them and tell them to ch- that they need to repent and go do something else he just commends them on what they do and so as we look here and we look at this church Philadelphia was the youngest and the smallest of all the cities that the letters were addressed to. This city was uh, located in a narrow, um, kind of a mountain pass between two mountains. And it was a narrow little passage, literally the doorway into Asia Minor and into Asia. And because of this, this city, people would have to travel through here. Being in between these mountain ranges, one of the things that Philadelphia was known for was earthquakes. They had a lot of earthquakes. And so, and the city was named for um, King Altus, A T T A L U S, the second, the king of per- Pergamum. And he was known for his love for his brother. He loved his brother and really took care of his brother. And it became known as Philadelphia. And you notice that, like Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the city of brotherly love, Phileo, Kindness, that type of thing. That's where the name comes from. A lot of pagan worship in the city, like the other cities, as we've mentioned. And very interesting, out of the seven churches that the Lord writes to through John, the church in Philadelphia, till around 1,000 A.D., was faithfully witnessing and sharing the gospel. 1,000 years, well, 900 years after this was written. So they lasted the longest of the seven churches. That church in Philadelphia was the long-running one in preaching the gospel. And so as we look here tonight, and as we dive in, let's dive right in. And we see in our notes there, Philadelphia, the church with an open door. We see number one here that Jesus identifies himself. Just as he does with every one of the churches, he identifies himself in a certain way. And we look there in verse number seven. It says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia right? These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the keys of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. As we look here, we see that Jesus identifies himself, and he comes to them, letter A. He identifies himself as holy. You see that right there in the verse there? It says, he that is holy. The word holy tells us here that Jesus is set apart, that he's sinless, that he's pure. Throughout the Bible, we see that this was who Jesus was. 1 Peter 2, verse 22, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. We think about the fact of 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We see the fact that Jesus is holy. Even the devil and his demons know that Jesus is holy. We think about Mark 1.24. They were saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the holy one, the separate the holy one of God. As we look here we see that Jesus is holy. Secondly letter B, we see that he's true, which means genuine. And you think about it in that day and even in our day today. Really what we want to see today, we want to see people who are genuine. Cuz there are a lot of hypocrites out there, right? Or a lot of people that say one thing and live a completely different way. And we want to see people that are genuine. And Jesus says, hey, I'm genuine, I'm true. And you think about this in that day with all the heathen religions of the day and all the pagan gods and all the things that they had. Jesus is telling, hey, I am the holy one and I am true. You believe in me, it's a genuine thing. And we think about the fact when it comes to Jesus, Acts 4, verse number 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Bible tells us in John 14, verse number 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And we live in a day and age where there are a lot of things that are not true. And a lot of things not genuine. But I can guarantee you this tonight. Jesus Christ is genuine. He's true. And thank God for that. As we look at Jesus here and as he introduced himself, he introduced himself as the Holy One. He introduced himself as truth. Letter C, we see he introduced himself with the fact that he has authority. He's the one who opens the doors, and he's the one who closes the doors. No one else does. He does. And... You know we look at it and we think about it Tonight and I was having a conversation With someone just the other day In all reality in this world today The Bible is pretty clear That the God of this world is Satan But at the end Of the day God has the Ultimate rule He opens the doors he closes Them he has the authority When we think about the fact that he has authority now Aren't you glad he's in control He is And that's where and sometimes don't Sometimes people get carried away and they're like, well, God's in control, so he allowed, he allowed this and he, he did this. God, co- God doesn't cause a lot of the blunders that come in life. Our choices cause the blunders in life. And God takes those things and God works them together. And how he does it, he's a, he's a master of what he does. And so we see he has authority, number one, underneath that, we see he carries the keys. When you got some authority, you got to have some keys, right? I think that just makes sense, right? It gives you access. The first day I, pa- the day I was voted in as pastor, that Sunday afternoon, I got keys to the property. I didn't have keys before that. I did one time, I was, <laughs> I was snooping around the property once. You say snooping? Yeah, just a little bit. And so this was my, when I first pastored, when I was first pastoring, this was my prayer spot. So I marched around it like the walls of Jericho and prayed around it and so I did a little snooping one time But I didn't have keys once I became the pastor. I had keys And someone today wanted to carla wanted to come and mess with the trees in here And I gave her the code for the side door She's like whoa, I have the code for the side door I didn't tell her that as soon as she got done. I was going to change that code So she could only have it one time but um you get access that way. There's things. And when we look here, the Bible tells us in this verse, it says that he, hold, that he hath the keys of David. And when you think about that, there's a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 22 in verse number 20 through 25 talking about this Elikim. So it says, And it shall come to pass in that day that I will call my servant Elikim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with thy robe and strengthen him with thy girdle. And I will commit thy government into his hands. And he shall be a father to the inhabitations of Jerusalem and to the house of Jacob. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulders. So he shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut and none shall open. And I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place. And he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house. And they shall hang upon him all the glory of his father's house. The offspring and the issue, vessels in small quantities, oh, small quantity from the vessels of cups even to the vessels of the flagons, in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall the nail that is fastened in a sure place be removed and be cut down and fall, and the burden that was upon it shall be cut off, for the Lord hath spoken it. Now this guy, I believe, is a real guy, this prophecy was made about. But in the Old Testament, one of the things you need to remember is, that everything that takes place in the Old Testament and what we see, the Old Testament, New Testament, is all about Jesus Christ. So throughout the Old Testament, there are pictures of Jesus Christ all over the place. And when you look at the government being upon his shoulders, him having the key of David opening doors and shutting doors, and he has that power, and we talk about the nail being fastened in a sure place, it's a clear prophecy about Jesus Christ. And so when we see here, it's mentioned the fact that he carries the keys. What that reminds us is that the Lord has total control. The government will be upon his shoulders. And we see these things will take place. And so we see that there's access there. And not only that, when we think about his authority does he carry the keys, but he controls the doors. That's why one of the things I pray often, and it's a scriptural prayer, and I would encourage you to pray something like this. There are a lot of times that things come up in life, right? We, a decision, maybe a new job, maybe a new house, maybe a new car, maybe whatever the case may be. Um, whatever it is, my prayer always is, God, if this is something you have for us, keep, open the door and help me be alert so I walk through the door you open. But if you're shutting a door, shut it closed and let me know so I don't try to go through it. And then when God closes the door, let go of it and just let God be in control. But he's the one who controls the door. You and I don't. He does. And that's a great thing to, because why does he have control? Because he's God. He has the authority. And when God opens a door for you, go through the door he opens. This is the problem in the Christian life. And this it's part of the notes tonight, so don't worry about it. But, uh, there's still plenty of notes to go through. The thing that we like to do is God might not even have a door open, but we try to put our way in somewhere we're not even supposed to be going. Let God control things. If He opens up a door, walk through that door. But and sometimes we look at situations in our lives and we're like, "Well, God opened the door. Did He really? Or is Satan trying to get you off track? You got to be very careful." A while back, someone came to me and said, Pastor, God opened the door for me to move somewhere, and I got a great job lined up. My first question, did you find a church? Oh, no. I would find a church. You say it matters? Yeah. More important than a job would be, if I'm going to move somewhere, a friend of mine was getting ready to move just not too long ago, and he was looking for houses. And he called me. We are talking about it. And I asked him, I said, In all reality, I would find a church before I find a house. I would go to an area, and I would go to several churches, and then I would, if there's a good church there, then I would find a house in that area. I think that's important. Most people don't think it's uh, that important, but it would do you good to, to look at things that way. But I love the fact, and we think about the fact, the Lord opens, he controls things. You think about in Paul's life, in Acts 16, verse 6-10, 16, and now when they had gone through Perga and the regions of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. After they had gone to Asia, they assayed uh, to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not, and they passed by Asia to come down to Trochus. And a vision appeared to Saul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia... And prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Do you see how the Lord opened up the door? And he also hindered them from going into Asia. The Lord opens doors, he does. And be patient and wait on God. But why does he open and close doors? Because he has the authority. He has all authority. That's who God is. And it's kind of it's hard for us to imagine how, who God is, but he has all the authority. What he's telling this church is, hey, I'm the Holy One, I'm genuine, and I have authority. And not only do I have authority, but letter D, he knows everything about them. Have you noticed that that's a theme through every one of these churches? He knows everything about them. There's no secrets with God. And you can live your life. You can do your thing. You can be in this church tonight, and you can have secrets from me. You can have secrets from other people here. You can be living a double life, and no one here know what's going on. But God knows everything you do. He knows it all, and that that's a comfort for me, because I cannot. I had someone. I had someone one time tell me a while back that I need to keep, I need to, how did they word it? It was when I first started pastoring, but it was my job, like when it came to the Lord's Supper, I need to make sure everybody was pure before they could partake of the Lord's Supper. I'm like, whew, I can't even make sure I'm pure. How am I going to make sure everyone else is pure? And I'm I'm glad the Lord sees and knows all things. And be sure your sin will find you out. He knows everything about this church. as we look here tonight, we see he introduces himself to them. But, and we think about just a couple verses. Hebrews four thirteen. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Proverbs fifteen three. The eyes of the Lord, they are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. God sees and knows all things. We see that Jesus introduces himself to this church, and then we see number two tonight, the church's ministry. And this church has quite a ministry. Let's look there at verse number 8, right in the, towards the end of it. It says, "...for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them." That dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Behold, um, hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. You just notice that phrase there. It says they have a little strength. When we look at this, we see the fact, letter A, that they were small, but they were making a tremendous impact. No, you don't have to be a large church. I, I am grateful for large churches that make a big impact I also think a lot of people can get lost in big churches And that's why some people like it Sometimes a lot of people come and after people come to our church I'll go make a visit And they'll be like uh, I've never had a pastor visit me before I'm like you probably go to bigger churches normally don't you And that they'll say and I, they're like I don't know if I really like the smaller church tr- I'm like you, you want to be able to hide out don't you it's kind of hard to hide out in a smaller room like this because I literally, I know if you're here or not. It hasn't gotten too big. Now in a few years, I might forget my name and not remember if you're here or not. But right now, I know if you're here or not. I know if you were here last Sunday. I know if you were here Sunday night. I know if you are here last Wednesday. And last Wednesday, none of us were in here. But you know what? I've, I remember that. And so, but it does not matter the size We can make an impact for the Lord no matter what the size of the church. If there's five people, you have the Lord, you have a majority. It'll be all right. Now, I'm grateful for, and there are a lot of great big churches that do great things for God, and I'm grateful for that. But what we see is this was a small church. They had little strength, but they did what the Lord had for them. What did they do? Number one, we see the fact that they kept his word. They had, As we look here, they, and you think about this, they had little strength. What that tells me is they were not a big congregation, and I don't think they had a lot of money. I think they were just getting by. And you think in those days of these big temples and all these false gods and all these different things, compared to all of that, they were pretty weak. But they were strong in the Lord and what they did. And we see the fact that they kept his word. When we look at that there, it means that even though they were small or weak in some ways, they kept their doctrine right. And that's important. And I'll remind you of that over and over again. It is important for a church to keep the doctrine right. It's important. You're seeing, and we're an independent Baptist church, but you're seeing right now in the Southern Baptist church, you're seeing a struggle over doctrine. And you're having Mr. Rick Warren, which retired as a pastor. He's supposedly retired. Stirring stuff up. And what they all need to do, they just need to all get focused back on Jesus and get back where they need to focus on. But the, the problem is, leave the doctrine alone. It's not your job or my job to redefine what the Bible's clear about. Leave the Bible alone and trust the Word of God. And I don't care if it's 2023 or if it's 4022. This book will still always be right, and it must be followed. And yes, there might be some things in my life now that I'm not as dogmatic that were preference-based, yes. But when it comes to the doctrine of this book, I have not changed in my doctrine. My doctrine is true, and you better stay true to your doctrine. Because if we mess up the doctrine in this place, what are these kids going to do someday? Doctrine matters. This was a small church, but they kept God's word. They kept it. And then we see the fact, that letter, or number two there, they didn't deny his name. They were not ashamed of Jesus. They weren't ashamed to have a relationship with him. They weren't ashamed to go spread the gospel and tell others about Jesus Christ. Hey, this church might have been small, but they made an impact. And as they made that impact, they kept the word of God. They didn't deny his name. And may I just remind you today, we need those priorities today. I think this is a great example found in these verses here. We need to keep the word of God. We need to not be ashamed and not deny the name of Jesus Christ. Have you noticed that this world doesn't like the name of Jesus? They never have. And they're never going to. It's not going to change in that realm. And I want you to understand something today. As a church, we must continue to lift up Jesus Christ. We must stand for what's right. We must stand and do what's right in these areas. Letter B, we see the fact that this church had opposition. And I guarantee you, anytime you're doing what's right for the Lord, there will always be opposition. It always comes. It will always be there. And we see the synagogue of Satan mentioned here again. And I've heard there's there's a Baptist in Arizona. He's a nut. That, his name's Steven Anderson. He's a, he's a nut. I actually went to Bible college with him. And uh, went to a few classes together. He, he's a nut. I think I said that like five times. One of his followers started church probably 20 minutes from here, probably 4 years ago, and we lost like four families to go over there cuz they liked his style and he's real bombastic. The church over in West Covina or wherever they're at El Monte wherever they are, they had some uh some people bash their windows this last week and they're all thinking they're good, great and wonderful for standing up for things and they're just they're nuts. But he really he doesn't he doesn't view the Jews as God's people he thinks all the Jews of today are the synagogue of Satan saying they're Jews and they're really not and he's got a weird thought with all of that there's a lot down that road but literally those that oppose the things of Jesus Christ if you're not for Jesus you're against him right wasn't wasn't Peter called Satan he was wasn't he get thee behind me Satan Because he opposed the things of God. And I sincerely think that in this passage, we look at on Sunday nights, we were going through the book of Acts, and we see how Paul, how these Jews followed them along and were trying to hinder the work of God. I sincerely think that the synagogue of Satan is referring to those Jews that followed Judaism and wanted nothing to do with Jesus and was causing trouble for them once again. And so as we look here... And we see these things, they had opposition. But I want you to know something, there's opposition when you serve Jesus. It's the way it goes. Uh, Yea, all that shall live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And we understand that these things are going to happen and that they're going to be there. But I want you to understand something as we think about this. The fact that someday, all those that have opposed Jesus throughout all the ages, every knee is going to bow. And every tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It doesn't matter who it is and where they stand. They will someday bow before the Lord. And if you get persecuted today for doing what's right and for being a Christian, they don't do it because they don't like you. They don't like your Savior. They do it because they don't like Jesus. That's the way it's always been. Don't think you're too special that people don't like you. They don't like the one you serve. There's opposition. Not only was there opposition, but we see letter C, we see in this, we see the church's future. Look at what it says there in verse 10 because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. And what this, this, is, a great, this is a great comfort to God's people. The Lord says, as you endure the hard things, as you suffer for my name's sake, someday when this world is going to suffer tribulation, you're not going to be here to be a part of it. That's why that's for all believers right here. You know, there are many out there, and I've talked about when it comes to the tribulation. And I believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. The God's people will not be here to see the tribulation and the wrath of God here on earth. Why? Because Jesus suffered the wrath of God for us. And you know, some people are like, why are you so special that you won't suffer in the tribulation? We're not special. But literally our Savior suffered so we don't have to. He did. And so as we look at this verse and we see these things, that you look at that phrase, them that dwell upon the earth. It's literally translated, the earth dwellers. And in the book of Revelation, this is mentioned over and over later on, and it refers to those that are a part of this world system, the evil system that this world has. And it speaks of those that do not know the Lord. They are going to face the wrath of God in the tribulation, but God's people will not, because Jesus endured the wrath for us. We see this church, and we see the fact of um their ministries and we see they were small but they kept the word of god we see the fact that they didn't deny his name we see there was opposition we see that they that what their future was going to be and we also see there was a warning for this church the warnings found in verse number 11 behold i come quickly hold that fast which thou hast that no man take thy crown see the believers here in philadelphia were told warned to do two things the first one is to watch for the coming of the Lord. And then the second is, they were to watch their walk. Hold fast. That's what we need to do today. We need to keep our eyes up in the sky looking for Jesus. And we need to stand for what's right. Same thing that was told to the Church of Philadelphia. is the same thing that's there for us today. Do you realize Jesus is coming? Let me ask you a question tonight. Do you live like Jesus could come at any moment? How'd your day go today? Did you live it like Jesus could return at any moment? What'd you say? What'd you do? You're like, I'm at church right now. That's a good one. That's good. That's good. That'd be good if the Lord returned right now. Wouldn't it be good if the Lord returned on a Wednesday or on a Sunday, you were actually in church? That that would be good, right? That would be good. You could be at the bar, getting ready to drink your drink, and then... Oh, Jesus. Um, it was cream soda, really. It was. It was cream soda. Root beer. It was that dad's root beer bottle the pastor gave me. It was, that, uh, it was that appearance of evil that he handed out on Sunday. Just make sure the label was so people could see it. But, anyways, we don't really live our lives like Jesus could return any moment. We should. Because he could we get very comfortable and live our lives and do our things but the warning to this church is hey jesus is coming keep your eyes open keep looking for him and be ready for him when he comes the problem is many are going to be asleep when he comes spiritually speaking as we get ready to close here tonight and get to the last page, and there's some verses in there that you can look at and you've got to understand the fact. And I want to give you a couple of those verses. In that warning, you think about the fact, do you know someday you will stand before God? And I know we all have, there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. You will not be judged by it for your sin. And I am so grateful that I'm not going to be judged for my sin. But I will give an account to God for what I've done with what He's given to me. And the judgment seat of Christ is not going to be pleasant for every Christian. Let's be honest about that. You're going to stand before a holy God. You're going to see those nail-pierced hands, the nail prints in his feet. You're going to see what he did. And for all eternity, we're going to see him like this. You're going to see him. And he's going to ask you why. You're going to have to give an answer. Every one of us, Romans 14, 12 says, every one of us will give an account of himself to God. Second Corinthians 5, 10 tells us, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And I am grateful I'm not getting judged for my sin. But that doesn't mean it's all going to be wonderful. Some of us have that idea it's just going to be wonderful. But I think there's a verse that talks about to whom much is given, much is required. And we in America have been given a lot. And we're going to stand before God. He's going to say, what did you do with what I've given to you? There's something to think about there. We look at lastly tonight. We see he gives a personal message now to this church in verse number 12. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go out, go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God which is the new Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. This personal message we see, first of all, letter A, we see a message of stability. Jesus tells them here that these believers, he'll set them up as a pillar in the temple of God. And uh, a couple things with that whole thing. Pillars made of stone and things like that, they're pretty tough. You should have seen, I got, I got to tell you the story. I, sh- I got to finish up here just a minute. But every, every Tuesday, some of us go to the rescue mission, and uh, I've been doing it for a while. And so a couple weeks ago, and I get myself in trouble thinking I can do thing. And I, can, I, can I do certain, yeah, I can, I'm a jack of all trades master of none. That's Brian Pattison to a T right there. And so they've had a pipe leaking at the rescue mission. So half of the building doesn't have water upstairs. $4500 for someone to fix. So I'm like, I'll fix it for you. 20 30 bucks whatever the case may be. So in the main room at the rescue mission, and the, there's a bathroom on the side. And so there's a galvanized pipe up above that someone had cut and hooked PVC up to. But not threaded. It would literally just had a coupling between the two. And when you have galvanized pipe and PVC It's not a good mix. And there was still even when you turn the water off off it still leaks. So you don't have a dry thing there. So a couple weeks ago I'm there and I'm like all right. I look at this and I ask the workers, the guy in charge and the other workers, I'm like, is there access, because behind that bathroom there's probably like six feet of wall. And I ask them, is there access to that area? There's no access. It's all wall. Okay. So I tried something a couple weeks ago, and I didn't realize it was the main water line, the pressure line. So it w- lasted a week, and then it pff, busted. And so I was going to take that pipe out, because I thought if it's galvanized, it's got to have a T in there. I'll just use my pipe wrench. Something good will happen, right? So yesterday we're there, and we're, go- we're going at it. And so, well, I'm going at it, and I got Juan and Manny laughing at me. But anyways... Um, now they're just laughing at me. I don't know why they're laughing at me, and Juan's still laughing. I asked again yesterday, they can be my witness. There's no access to this room, no access. There's no way to get there. It's in the wall. And so as I was pulling on the wrench, on the, you heard a little psss. So I look in the bathroom there and I look in the wall, and I see a small copper line, a copper line that's shooting water off of it. I'm like, OK? I just was turning that, and I messed up another line. That's okay. I'll fix both. We'll be okay. And I asked again, is there any access here? No, no. And so literally I've asked five times. So in the main auditorium of the, uh, of the rescue mission, I can show you a picture afterwards if you want to see. Right? I measured the wall, and I'm like, this is the spot. I'm going to put a hole here, and I'm going to get to that pipe. And I just brought a few tools, so I had only the small little hammer. It wasn't a big one. And I just start beating at the wall. I'm thinking of people like Katie and things like that and getting my frustration out on that wall. And uh, did she hear me back there? She's not even paying attention back there. But anyways, and so when that she's not even looking up. I think she's sleeping. (laughs) You're doing great. You're doing great. You're doing great, Katie. You're doing great. I tell you. Anyways, and so so I'm, and then I got tired so I let Johnny start pounding on it. Now this building is old. It might be older than this building. And it was a cement wall on both sides. And in the middle there was clay brick in the middle. And this, this is like 10 inches thick. It's thick. And so we're just beating at it and finally we get a hole big enough that I'm going to stick my head in to see what's going on. I stick my head in There's daylight in there. There's a door on the side and a toilet right there. There was another bathroom on the back side of that spot that has access to everything. And I have a hole now that I've got to figure out what I'm going to do. I think I'm going to take one of my banners over here, the Exalt (laughs) the Savior, and I'm going to put it right on the wall right there, and they will never know that it's right there. But I asked him, I'm like, there's a room. Yeah, that room's back in the back. I'm like, really? Yeah, we thought it was in the wall, not there. I'm like, you can see the pipe? So anyways, after all that work, I got to go in that room and you can see the pipe. They went from copper to galvanized, which I don't know why you would do that. So I ordered the right part and I'll have it fixed in a few days and there'll be no problem, but I got a big hole there. The thing is, we pounded and pounded, and that was, that was hard to go through. I mean, yeah. And when I, so when I was, as I was finishing up studying this today, I was thinking about the fact that the Lord was going to make a pillar out of them. Pillars are strong. And all they had little strength. But as they stood for what was right they were going to be harder to knock over than that wall I had to break through yesterday. And if you don't believe I'm telling you the truth, I got the picture. I'll show you afterwards. And one, am I making this up? I'm not making it up. And so last night I'm preaching and all I see is that hole in the back. (laughs) And I'm just thinking, I don't even know what to say. Anyways, we see the fact that it's a message of stability. And this world may try to mess you up and think that you don't know what you're doing, but when you're on Jesus Christ the rock, everything is going to be all right. And you'll find stability. you also see letter B, it was a message of security. Because it says that God here would identify with his people. Do you see that there? Look at the, look at the verse 12. Him that overcometh will I make a pillow. Now, you say, well, so they have to do something, right? No, we've already talked about this. We overcome through Jesus Christ. So in Jesus Christ, you are an overcomer through faith, right? That's how that works. And there's more I could say there. But as we look at that, look at what it says. It says, and he shall go, it says, make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is the new Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. You want to talk about eternal security? I think that's another great passage for eternal security right there. God, God's going to claim you. He's put, your name, he's put his name on you and given you the name of his city, and you get to be a part of it. Great security found right there. And the day and age that they lived and all that went on, this was a great truth and a great comfort for them. In a city that was rocked with earthquakes, God said, I'm going to build you up as a pillar, and I'm going to put my name on you. And you're going to know the name of my new city, and you're going to have that name. Thank God for that. If you notice in your notes there, there are some verses at the end there. But you look at Hebrews 7.25, the Bible tells us there, wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto him by God seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. John 10, 28, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Aren't you grateful that your salvation isn't based on you and what you do? And I know that people could take that verse and say, well, I have to overcome. You and I cannot overcome. Jesus is the one who overcame. And because he overcame, you and I can overcome as well. That's how that works. So as we look here, this is written to Christians. And it says, those of you that overcome, and you can overcome by knowing Jesus Christ, those of you that have overcome, I'm going to set you up. I'm gonna, you're my redeemed. You're going to be with me forever. You're going to reign as priests and things. There's other verses we could look at with all that stuff. And I'm going to give you a new name and you're going to know the name of my city, and you're safe and secure in me no matter what you go through in this life. What a great truth. What a great church. When we look at this church here, I would love for when the Lord looks at our church for him to say, they're like that church in Philadelphia. You see, this is one of, there's only two churches that he doesn't get after them about some things. It was this one in Smyrna was the other one, and the persecution that they went through. Why? This church might have been small but they kept their doctrine right and they didn't deny the name of Jesus. In the face of all the persecution, all those things the Lord opened the door for them to reach people and it lasted 900 years past the time this letter was written. I want the Lord to keep this light on and the door open here. And souls to be getting saved in the community around here. And for young people to be raised up in this place and for them to hear the call of God on their life and for them to serve God and do what he has. I want the Lord to have an open door here for us to go through. But I don't know if you noticed, there are a lot of churches in America today, their doors are closing. We don't want that. I think the key... And this is just me speaking. I think if you keep your doctrine right, and you keep Jesus Christ forefront and lift him up, I think your door is going to be open to do what you need to do. When you change your doctrine and you get away from the doctrine of this book, and you quit lifting up Jesus Christ, you're going to see those doors close. That's why we have a lot of churches that might be big, small, that have people and there's no power there, because the door is closing. Let's keep our doctrine right and let's lift up Jesus Christ. Father, thank-